Welcome back to Escape to the Magic Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Randy. And I am Dak. And once again, our third amigo is not here. Still missing Ryan. He is... Have he you was, heard from him? Yeah, he was texting me. Is and, he still around? Yeah, yeah. He was I out mean, in California yesterday enjoying a little Monte did Cristo. Did he sell his shares in this venture? Yeah. <laughs> or? That's right. He's, he's diluting his stock options right now. You know, and all of this playful banter is just to get him to laugh. Nobody else, so we'll just move on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but hey, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Do you want to live at Disney? Yes, I do. Well, that's today's episode. Yeah. Yeah, so we're calling today's episode, Do You Want to Live at Disney? And anyone who answers no can just turn off their radios and playbacks right now and, and just find I don't a different understand. I, listen, <laughs> I, I, I can't understand you if you are a no, um, but that's okay. There's still, there's still hope for you. Yeah, yeah. No, so today, in all seriousness, today's episode is just Disney's fascination with real estate and development of real estate and all the different ventures that they've gone into. Um, and so hopefully this is an interesting uh, you know, topic today for us to get into a little bit of history and a little bit of you know, ways that you could actually live at Disney. I think, I think um, folks, I think you're going to be surprised to find out the ultimate breadth and scope to which Disney has pursued various uh, ventures and opportunities that would bring people more permanently closer to the magic. Yeah, and I think um, part of this was Walt Disney was a very forward-thinking person. He saw, you know, he was involved a lot with different municipalities and different red tape that he was trying to go through as he was getting through Disneyland and trying to get that up and going. And I think he saw some opportunity for communities to be involved in uh, ways of, getting better, right? Building a better community. Yeah. And so that was his main thought process is how can we make this more efficient, more, you know, ecologically friendly, more transportationally friendly, everything, right? Yeah. It was you know, his whole concept. When people, you know, when people kind of talk about what a, what a utopian future looks like, you think about things where, uh, the economics makes sense. Perhaps we aren't a cashless, you know, sort of working for money sort of society. But you get towards this more egalitarian, like, hey, we're doing this for the betterment of ourselves, for the betterment of mankind, for the betterment of our future. And and you look at all of the things that kind of go into what a community consists of, what it looks like from infrastructure, from transportation, from your 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 living conditions and space and from green areas and you know, Walt, I think, had this picture in his mind of what would that look like? How would it work? And you know, what's really interesting um, as we just kind of kick this off, because I because I know that number one on our list is Epcot. right? Yeah. So but, Epcot but you, but you really know what's interesting. If you think back to the Iron Man movies, <laughs> I know where you're going. You know where I'm going with yeah, this? Yeah. You know, um, there's this there's this video that Tony is watching. And um, Howard Stark is laying out his prototype community of the future. And you kind of see this through the themes of the Iron Man movies where, right. they, where they would have the Stark Expo, right? Yes. The Stark Expo basically is a, a, a parallel for the World's Fair. Right. Okay. Walt was a huge player at the World's Fair. His entire, you know, the whole time, yeah. his career, he was at the World's Fair showing off 
the next big big thing. And so so Howard Stark's out there like showing his prototype, and I'm looking at this. I'm just like, wow, like there's literally a video of Walt doing the exact same thing with a map that looks almost identical yes. to you know the Stark community of the future, where Walt Disney lays out the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Yeah, Epcot, right? So what's funny is I never even thought about this before, but doesn't Howard Stark have a little Walt He does. Mustache? He's got a little Walt mustache. I mean, he looks <laughs> like it. He's in the suit. He's sitting on the edge of his desk. Yes. Just like Walt would do. Yeah, they had to have played off. In of all that. those Sunday night, you know, TV shows where he would he would kind yeah. of take you through the world of Disney. The world of Disney. Man, that's that brings back some great memories. But uh yeah, so the first the first real thought process of this, as we've been talking about, was Epcot, which is the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And that was basically in the 60s. Walt came up with this idea of how could I build this utopian community where people would live there, work there, you know, commutes would be done through mass transit and, and all of these things. And he came up with this whole idea And it was going to be part of Disney's goal to build this community. And unfortunately... Not a a theme park. Not a theme park. This was an actual living residential community. The Epcot we received was a theme park, right? Right. Uh, Big part because Walt died before it was done. Yeah. Frankly, Walt died before it was started, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Walt died before it was started. And Roy came in and was just like, I'm not Walt. But what could I do to deliver on his vision? Well, how about another theme park? Yeah. Okay. Um, but a theme park that kind of played on the elements of what would that community. But I think Roy knew too at the time, only Walt could deliver something like this on this kind of scale. Yeah. Because really, that was his vision. He was the man there. Yeah. It really got put on the back burner because no one had the foresight to really see how that was going to work. And then actually they talk about it a lot. We've plugged the Imagineering show uh, before in the past and plug it again it's great to go back and watch it and you just kind of see how the Imagineers kind of got together and decided hey this is just not possible yeah like to actually build a community you're not going to have everybody buy into this mindset because that's part of it right it's like you have to have the mindset that it's like this shared property and shared areas and all of these things and unfortunately we're just not in a well, and, there, and, and here's here's what's interesting. You know, we're calling this episode, Do You Want to Live at Disney? And uh, obviously you and I, uh, I'll speak for Ryan, like we're all on board. Our answer is yeah. probably it's a resounding yes. Most of our listeners are going to probably be uh, to a certain degree within that too. But when Wald envisioned Epcot, um, there was not that kind of affinity, right? Like yeah. this was still kind of new. So he had a he had this cool theme park out in California and he'd, he'd recently – you know, was going through the process of thinking of building another one in Florida when he started to think of of an Epcot of of what the future looked like. But he had already started doing things like he had pitched the monorail to the state of California. Like, look, we're going to have a massive transit problem in the future. They already had they already had traffic in the 50s and 60s. Okay, on the California freeways. And Walt said, I have a solution for you that could really work here. And they were not interested. Right. And I think that starts to shift his thinking into how can I make a difference? Well, what if I just build my own community? Yeah. Right. What if we do that? And what if what if people come in and they see how good life can be and they want to start and push and take that outside? Right. Almost evangelize. Hey, we can live in a utopia. 
Yeah, and so then transition that. So he's out in Anaheim having all kinds of problems with the community around Disneyland, the transportation to get to Disneyland. You know, he was very, I mean, anyone who knows Disneyland history knows that hotels started popping up all around Disneyland, and he just did not want any part of that, you know, at the time. And so, you know, as the story goes, they start buying up properties out in Florida, you know, under secret names and secret identities, and it's all cloak and dagger. And then finally, the story is sprung, right? I think the Orlando Sentinel uh, broke the story. And... But again, Walt's forward thinking was, hey, I'm going to create this community out there or or organization. Organization is not the right word, but he comes up with this idea of like, I want to control the municipalities. I want to control what's being built. I'm, I'm going to roll forward with this so that I'm in control of what's happening on the land that I own so that so when much, I build. So much red tape. Yeah, everywhere he he's been so far, it. where it was like, and listen, I I will say this, <laughs> I will say this as a as a government official who works in public works for one of the <laughs> largest cities in this country, right? The amount of red tape that exists to allow us to deliver better infrastructure, it is it is staggering. Yeah. Right? Now, there's a good reason for a lot of it. Okay, you know, we we talk about life, health, safety issues. We want to make sure that we do all that kind of stuff right. Um, but those were not the obstacles Walt was worried about overcoming. Walt was having a hard time overcoming politicians, yeah. right? People who had their own agendas, who were trying to do things for their own purposes. And again, I go back to the monorail because if you think about it, you know, we live in Texas and we've been talking probably almost our entire lives about this idea of a high speed train between Dallas and Houston. Guys, it still doesn't exist. Yeah, never they got the land already now at this point. We're, 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 but here we are decades later, we still don't have this. And Walt was saying back in the day, we could solve mass transit problems in California if we build something efficient, economical. Look, it was the first electric transportation. Yeah. Right? On a mass, mass scale. We're not talking about your typical streetcar trolley up and down San Francisco. We're talking about this was mass electrification transportation in the heart of California. And they didn't want to do it. And look at where they're at today. Yeah, could you imagine how different that might look if they had been like, "Yeah, let's let's do this. Let's go forward with this plan and see what you know Walt Disney can can bring to the table here for our transportation problems." And I'm not going to get and 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 um, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not actually getting into the political discussions or anything like that. We're really just talking about the history. There's lots of arguments to be made about all sorts of things for against. Um, but the history of this was, that's what Walt was dealing with. And so he goes to Florida. And so I guess the next one that we should talk about pretty briefly here is something that I think a lot of people have heard about in the news. Again, we're not going to go into the political considerations of it, but really, um, Reedy Creek development is is what comes next, right? Yeah. So that was the next big thing is, so Walt gets there to Florida. He starts to develop all this swamp land and he gets with the governor of Florida and the state of Florida, and they form the Reedy Creek development, which is basically, again, this internal... And I'm going to let you kind of take over here because you can describe it being in public works a little bit better than I can. But Reedy Creek basically allowed Walt to control all of the infrastructure within that area of land that they owned 
so that he could develop how he wanted to develop and grow it how he wanted to grow it. And so I want to lay the backdrop here because when we talk about the timing of this, um, Florida, okay, in the 1960s and 70s, yeah, there was a lot of people, but there was a lot of people in a couple of very specific places. The overwhelming majority of the state was very unpopulated, very sparse. And in fact, the, this area of Orange County, where ultimately he comes into, was practically completely a swamp. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was. It was it, it's interesting. When you visit Disney World today, um, most of that is reclaimed land in one shape, form, or fashion. Yeah. Because it was it was a lot of swampland. It had a it had you had to clear a whole bunch of stuff out, and you had to bring in some stability and some foundation. Um, in 1970, um, I had to look this up, but in 1970, okay, so Disney World, Dis- Magic Kingdom opens when 71, October 71. of 71. 1970, the population of the entire state of Florida was 6.7 million people. Ease. I want to put that in perspective, right? We live in we live in the greater Houston area and the population of the greater Houston area is more than a million people bigger than that. Yeah. Okay. So, so the entire state of Florida and now Florida is an albatross, right? It's the second most populous state. Right. Uh, or the uh, not the second most populous state. It's it's um the third most populous state, I think. It's, it recently overtook New York in the last really? census, right? Um <clears throat> It's absolutely enormous now. Yeah. So when Wald approaches the governor and says, hey, I want to do this. And the governor's like, you mean you want to go and develop the state for us? <laughs> <laughs> it, it seemed like a no brainer. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So, again, we're not going to get into the political things here. But the idea was Walt needed a mechanism. He needed a legal mechanism to be able to come in and build infrastructure. I need to build roads. I need to I need to build my own water utility. I need to be able to build my own, you know, power and make sure that I can do everything I need to do it and I want to do it up to my specs, right? And when you go into the Walt Disney World property now, an area that is twice the size of the island of Manhattan, yeah. okay? So this is this is a big big area, okay? And you look, and every time you drive on one of those roads and freeways, you're like, "Hey, this is Disney built. This yeah. isn't this isn't Florida Department of Transportation, right?" Now Disney will hire contractors and stuff sure, like sure. that, and they may be the same contractors that the Florida DOT also hires. Okay, but the control and the design and everything else is done just a little bit differently. And there needed to be this mechanism for them to be able to both develop and pay for it, and absorb the tax consequences. And Reedy Creek development was really that, right? It was something that allowed them to do all of the above, have control over what that looked like, so that you could literally come in and enter the Disney bubble. Whereas, like you mentioned, when you go to Anaheim, the Disney bubble starts and stops at the gate. That's right. Yeah, it really And the second you get outside the gate, you're like, oh, I don't want to be out here. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's that it it definitely takes away from the magic. So you got people I mean you got people on the corner there selling, yeah, you know, everything. Rip off, knock off, counterfeit, you know, Disney merchandise or whatever and it just ah, Yeah, it's it's tough. And so you can see Walt's mindset in I want to control this big, you know, parcel of land that I have and be in direct control of who's on it and how it looks and again being in that bubble. So and what's amazing to me is, again, this is 1970, and he's already thinking ahead. 
And now today, it's just so natural that when you get into that area, you know you're inside the Disney bubble. I mean, it is it is that distinctive line. So, okay, so just moving forward then down the history of, of kind of communities owned and developed by Disney. So then I did some research. I didn't know about this, but there was a community down in Miami called Country Walk. And basically, Disney funded the development and building of this community called Country Walk. That's really all I could find on it, other than when Hurricane Andrew came through in like 1992, I think, or somewhere in the early 90s. Yeah, early 90s. It did some massive damage to this area. And so there was some kind of a black eye on whoever the developers and construction team was that, that built these homes. And so they had to basically go back in and rebuild all these homes with using cinder blocks and everything like that. So if we're looking at the genesis of this, right, it it starts out with Walt wants to build literally an entire community. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Can't do it. So we get a theme park based on, hey, this is what the future could look like. Um, in the process of the whole thing, though, in the middle of that was, well, we're going to develop and we're going to control what our little, you know, fiefdom here looks like altogether. Right. And now it's, okay, maybe we should go start building some houses. Yeah, yeah. So they build this community down in Miami. I mean, I think it's pretty quiet, so I don't see it as a success or a failure other than the the hurricane situation. And then when it really started to take off for them is like early 90s. So in the early 90s, they decide that they're going to try this again. They're going to build this community. It was primarily designed for Disney executives and Disney higher ups, and that's Celebration. So Celebration, Florida, it's a real town. It's not owned by Disney, but it was this Disney concept of, hey, we're going to build out this community and develop this community that is for specifically for Disney employees. And, and this was this was among the beginning of when you started seeing these things called master planned communities right. popping up, right? Where they're like, hey, what? Are, how are we going to build our community? What's it going to look like? What are the amenities that are going to be there? But 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 the reality is, is, you know, you're talking the size of a subdivision or an HOA or, right. you know, or larger where you get to multiple phases of large subdivisions that kind of look like that celebration though morphed even beyond that which was it was literally its own entire community yeah and it's it's kind of that old you know i would say it mirrors the kind of style and um decor of main street it's you know old classic homes that have that that type of architecture and stuff to it and then again, in early 2000s, the history of celebration is Disney ends up selling out to another development group, an ownership group, and, and they end up taking over. And so to, as of today, celebration is not directly affiliated with Disney. Around the same time in the early 90s, that's when Disney also came up with DV, DVC, which is Disney Vacation Club. Yeah, 1991, the Disney Vacation Club starts. And you know, this is a really interesting discussion point because um, something that had also started to become really, really big in those early 90s was the timeshare, yeah. right? I mean, timeshares have been around for quite some time. And your typical timeshare at the time was you would purchase a contract and that contract at a specific resort or location would allow you to have fractional ownership of in most instances, a specific unit, right? So typically, right. a condo size, uh, you know, condo size place, 
one bedroom, two bedroom, sometimes a small kitchenette, sometimes a full kitchen, regardless. Um, and you would buy that for a specific period of time. Yeah, July 5th <clears throat> through the whatever. Yeah, you know, you you got you get the third week in July every other year yeah. in, you know, unit 3B at the, you know, Royal Hawaiian, right? <laughs> um and we saw a lot of timeshares popping up in Florida, especially yeah. you you'd vacation you'd, destinations. Vacation destinations, um Hawaii, Florida, and um Disney looked at this and they said, hey, there's an opportunity here because at the time they already had a lot of properties that looked a little bit like what could have been condos. Yeah. And they thought, well, how do we do this a little bit differently? Right. Yeah. So they kind of um, flipped the script a little bit, too. So for a while there, you know, anybody who's been strong armed at a as a at a timeshare presentation. Yeah. It's just you leave feeling grimy and just run over, right? They they beat you up and beat you up and try to, you know, strong arm you and it, into and if it. You, and if you bought anything, you feel good until the next morning. You're just yeah. like, wait a sec, what did I do? And, and then you're like, I can't get out of this. Yeah, and then getting out of it became just this nightmare where you could try to do anything you possibly could. And so um, so Disney flipped the script on that. And I, I kind of compare it to the cruise line industry, right? So yeah. the cruise line industry previously, you know, before Disney's involvement was all about the party scene, drinking, gambling on the ships, all of those things, which, you know, there's certainly a demographic for that. And I'm not putting that down. It's, you know, wildly popular. But Disney came in and said, hey, we're going to do this a little bit differently. We're not putting casinos on our boats. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. And they just changed it. And for a major part of it, a lot of people were like, you're not going to succeed then. Yeah, you're going to yeah. fail horribly. They, because the, the concept, you know, cruises were not family destinations. Right. right? So cruise right. was an opportunity for adults to escape. Yeah. Yeah. And whoop it <laughs> up. Know, right. What, what happens on a cruise ship stays. I mean, it was yeah. it was it was floating Las Vegas. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so, anyways, I don't want to get too off in the weeds. We'll have a separate episode on on Disney Cruise Line. But Disney comes in and says, hey, we're going to change the script. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to put in kids clubs, all these things, right? We're going to make it a family-based vacation. And they're wildly successful at it. Same thing with Disney Vacation Club. They come in. They say, hey, we're going to flip the script on how we're going to structure our timeshare product. We're not going to strong arm people into it. We're going to find, you know, an attractive way for them to get out of it if they need to. And we'll get into this in just a minute after we finish the other communities. But they just really created a better timeshare opportunity yeah. for uh, people to take advantage in, in of. In my opinion, to the point where you don't really think of it as a timeshare. No, you, no. You, you just don't. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of those details in a second. But that's what it is. It's a timeshare Legally, yeah, yeah, um, but and structurally, technically, but not in feel and practice. Yeah, that's right. So then, um, so just to finish out the development side of our conversation here, so then rolling forward, another master plan community, which is just off the charts amazing, is Golden Oaks. So we've talked about this on the show before. It's been in our magical scenarios because it's just amazing multi-million dollar homes right next to the parks you get a lot of the park amenities as part of your ownership within this community and it's just these homes are just simply gorgeous again 
Disney themed and funded and all of these, but they brought, I think where Disney learned their lesson is they brought in contractors and architects and all of these developers that actually are in the industry and, and Disney kind of backed off and said, okay, we'll find it. We'll create this space for it and you build it. You're the experts in this department and boy, boy, are they the experts, right? It is, it is, it is something else, you know, um, typically if you go out to a community and you want to build a home today, you're going to pick a builder and you're going to have a set of predefined plans from which you can choose. You may have a couple of options here and there like, Oh, I, I want the, I want the optional bathroom or I want the yeah. optional media room. Golden Oak says, Hey, here's some ideas and we can customize this house. However you want top to bottom all the way around. Um, there is not a home in Golden Oak that is less than I think $2 million. Um, you know, there, there may have been some initially that sold at that, but you won't be able to purchase anything below that price range. Now there are multiple homes within the community that are, um, eight figure homes, not just seven (laughs) figures, but eight figure homes. And, um, I get a postcard. I get a postcard every once in a while and I get an email every, a little bit more often from one of the brokers out in Golden Oak who, um, who would really like me to buy one of their homes. Yeah. And, and you know what? I really want to buy one yeah, too. Yeah, wouldn't it be great? It's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I got a postcard the other day and there was a home, it was $12 million. And you just looked at it and you said, oh my gosh, it's absolutely incredible. But Golden Oak is more than just these gigantic homes, right? This really is, when we say, do you want to live at Disney? This is about as, oh, yeah. I think, the fantasy creme de la creme that you can get because you are actually literally on Disney property. So Golden Oak is located literally on Disney-owned property. Yeah. Um, it's also the area where the Orlando Four Seasons is located, right? That's and, right. You know, they don't yeah. build the Four Seasons just anywhere. Um, and so that's <clears throat> that's part of it. By the way, um, I don't know if you know this, but you could live at the Four Seasons. Yeah, there I've are heard people that. that do that. It's yeah. not just it's not just hotel rooms, but there are people that actually you know, live there and you get all the amenities. There are shuttle buses to and from the parks. They will schedule it as you need. There are clubhouses and amenities. You can do all, I mean, it, it, you need to go and take a look. There's some great videos out there that will blow your mind. Um, but this was, this was, I think going to the other extreme of it. Yeah. I mean, they basically, this is is out of reach. Yeah. They basically created a community that's a super niche for the mega wealthy, or what I would consider the mega wealthy, right? I mean, not everybody can go out and afford a multi-million dollar home. And so I think they saw that. And so their last, their most latest development is this, it's called Story Living. And so I can't remember, I think it was a year or two ago, they came out and said, hey, we're going to do this again, real estate development. And then just recently, what, like a month? About a month ago, they they came out and announced a second location. But basically, these are more master plan communities more affordable housing one is in oh boy i'm gonna mess it up uh cotino cotino which is in rancho mirage california cotino community is the name of the community or the master plan community and that's in rancho mirage california and then the next one is called the asteria community and it's in pittsburgh north carolina yeah i couldn't tell you where either one of those nope but so that's what it is. These are more probably affordable housing. Um, 
yeah, not it'll, low it'll end. Be, it'll be interesting to see what it is. Yeah. Uh, I think if I were to, I'm not even going to bother with California because because I yeah. don't, I frankly don't understand real estate prices there. But if I were to guess, I think the North Carolina community, I would I would bet you that um, home prices probably range from the low 400s to the mid millions. Yeah, I yeah that sounds I'd say, about. I right. would say four hundred to a, probably about one point five. That's going to be my guess. I haven't seen anything official yet, but the concept that they're going for is they want to build something more akin to what you see being available today. Yeah, it needs to be high end, but not out of reach for for many people. And you need to have a good mix of that whole thing in there. Yeah, and I think they're going to lace it with Disney touches throughout yep. the community and, and so forth. So it'll have a little bit of a Disney feel to it. But again, they I think they've they've found that they are not developers, they're not architects, and they're not construction <laughs> a construction companies. So they've hired out these developers and these construction companies to come in and actually do the building, but and then just add the Disney touches as as they go. So that that kind of wraps it up as far as the different developments that Disney has done. I want to circle back if we can to DVC and go yeah. into that because I think I mean, could we potentially afford North Carolina or maybe Yeah, the California? question is do you want to live at Disney yeah. and you say yes, you say well you can maybe, right? <laughs> and I think that's where DVC comes in. Yeah, into play. I think so too. So DVC becomes this um pretty affordable i mean it's it's definitely a commitment but a pretty affordable way to get yourself at disney and so what i want to do is maybe talk about what does that look like how is that possible is it right for me you know how often do i need to be going to disney for dvc to make sense and again a lot of this is going to be personal to whatever your family circumstances or situation is but i think if we talk about it on a general level it at least perk some interest and and then you know you as the listener go out do your research see if it's a good fit for you and your family and you know maybe you'll become dvc members yeah i mean i think that there's so much and obviously as a as a dvc owner myself uh learned a whole lot over the years since we did it but i do believe that this is probably the most realistic way for most people to be able to say yeah i i do live at disney and because the reason is, as we mentioned, it is a timeshare. Yeah. Um, and so you are actually literally buying real estate on Disney property. Okay? So let's, yeah, you, let's you, talk you, about you, the logistics You will buy a contract and you will receive a deed yeah. and you are a fractional owner. You will pay property taxes. You will get credit for paying those property taxes when you file your income taxes. Um, I mean, it is, it is legitimate, um, but it's not the same. Because the first biggest difference between a, D, a Disney Vacation Club timeshare and all the other ones is the fact that a Disney Vacation Club timeshare has an expiration date to it. Yeah. So how long? So let's. I'm just going to rapid fire some questions at you just to kind of give some surface level, you know, clarity and boundaries on on how DVC works. So first thing is, is you come in, they have DVC kiosks all over the parks and we're just going to call it DVC so that we don't have to say Disney vacation club every time. So they have these kiosks all over the parks. You can schedule an appointment with them and then you go to their big DVC center, right? Which is where they do all that stuff and you sit down with them. You could. What do you mean you could? Yeah. So this is, this is what's so interesting, right? 
Um, yeah, they have all of that, and that's an available option. That is not how I became a member. Oh, really? How'd you uh, do it? We said, hey, I think we want to do this. We looked online. They sent us a DVD. <laughs> okay, so this is a while ago. Yeah, but they yeah. sent us a DVD, okay? Um, we didn't really watch the DVD because we already knew we wanted to yeah. do it. They connected us with our broker, and um, basically we got all the paperwork via DocuSign, and okay. and that's how that's how basically we bought in. We we bought in having never stayed in or even looked at one really? of those units. Okay, because wow. we we just knew that's you what we knew wanted that's to what do. you wanted. And to. we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the the finances and how that makes sense yeah. later on because that's a big part of the consideration. But that's one way to do it. The other way is the way you're mentioning, right? You yeah. can schedule a tour and you can go look at it. Again, tr- traditional timeshare. The way they suck people in is like, hey. Come here and we'll give you a, a three night stay for free right. and two hundred dollars in gift cards and you can win a TV. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that, that was the thing. And then you'd have to go sit through a three hour presentation. Right. And the last hour of that presentation is is a couple of people trying to bully you yeah. into spending tens of thousands of dollars, you know, for a weekend every other year at their place. Yeah. So I will tell you that we looked into it. Um, so we looked into it and kind of. The way that's why I was describing it the way I was. Mm-hmm. Is we stopped at one of the kiosks in the park. They said, "Yeah, sure. You know, we'll schedule an appointment for you." We go over to the DVC Center, which mm-hmm. is their main office area. Sat down, had a conversation with them. They kind of went through the program and how it all worked. Very casual, very yep. relaxed. Yep. Right? No, this is cheesy. The, they're sales basically pitch. like, "This is it, right?" Yeah. Do you want it? And if you we, do, great. If not. Yeah, okay. we said, no, we're going to think about it. And they were like, great, here's my card. If you need any more information, I'm happy to help. Yeah. And we walked out and we kind of looked at each other like, this for real? Like, they're just letting us go. And yep. they they did. So it, that's one thing I will absolutely pitch for Disney is that it's very hands off. You make the decision. If it's right for you, great. If it's not right for you, great. Yeah. Right? Like, no problem. So anyways, um. Maybe what we could talk about next is is how well first of all what are where are the Disney Vacation Club locations? So I I pulled up a list here. So there's there's a number of them. The 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 most notable ones that you'll think about will be at the biggest theme parks, right? So in um in Anaheim, you have the Grand Californian is a DVC resort. Right. Now, when I say DVC resort, I mean that there are blocks of rooms that are set aside as DVC rooms. They are not your traditional um, room that you'll find at any of those resorts. They are different. Yeah. Um, uh, there is typically in some of the smaller studios, a small kitchenette in some of the larger one, two and three bedrooms. There are full kitchens and right. even dining areas. Right. Um, it is l- in some cases an apartment. Right. Um, washer, dryer, those kinds of amenities. Remember, think timeshare, which is intended for people that are going to spend more time than less time. So this is not just a one or two day stay for a lot of people. It's typically we're going to be here for a week. Um, so Grand Californian, um, they're just building a brand new structure out in California. That'll be a Disney Vacation Club it tower. It's pretty soon. It's yeah. opening soon. Um, but in Florida is where you're going to find the majority of them. Yeah, so let me run through the Florida locations. So Animal Kingdom, Bay Lake Tower, Boulder Ridge, that's at Wilderness And, and that's Animal Kingdom Lodge. Yeah, Animal Kingdom Lodge. And there's actually Animal Kingdom Lodge. There's two separate ones, right? There's right. Kidani and then the Jumbo House. Right. 
Um, Copper Creek Villas, also at Wilderness Lodge and Cabins. Uh, the Disney Beach Club Villas. Then there's the Boardwalk Villas. The Grand Floridian has some. Old Key West, that's where I've stayed before. Beautiful location. The Polynesian, that's your home resort. That's my home we'll resort. Mm-hmm. Basically, give us a 20-second definition of yeah, what, so, what a home so resort remember, means. Yeah, so remember, you're buying a timeshare, which means you're buying specific property somewhere. So when you buy into Disney Vacation Club, you actually have to buy into a resort. So yeah. we are literally owners at the Polynesian. Perfect. And then there's the Riviera. And then... Uh, a new one, I haven't heard about this one, but it's called Disney Lakeside Lodge. It's a new one that they're mm. developing. And then we mentioned California, and then there's also some off-site locations. Well, and they're building, by the way, they're building an additional tower at the Polynesian Resort, which right. will be its own yeah. separate DVC tower. So it'll actually, it's at the Polynesian Resort, but it's its own property. Wow, crazy. Um, okay, and then Alani. So that's Alani's the Alani's now you're out in Oahu. Yep. And then the other two locations that are not on Disney property per se, right next to a park, is Hilton Head. Hilton Head. And then Vero Beach. Yeah. Uh so Hilton Head out in South Carolina, Vero Beach is out in Florida. So those are your, all your locations that you can pick and choose from. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but there's basically a point scale. Yeah. That you buy a number of points. That's how this contract, and so we're now talking about kind of the financial aspect of it. But basically, each location has a set of points, and those points buy you a number of nights worth of stay. Yeah. In a very, this is very, very basic Very rudimentary. Yeah. Just to kind of give you, you know, the overview. Yeah, when you buy a contract... You're buying you're buying points is what you're doing. Yeah. You're buying points at a specific location. However, those lo- those points are able to be used at all locations. Right. Right. And so even though I own it, the Polynesian, it doesn't limit me to the Polynesian. Some nuances to that. There's timing involved. So because I own it, the Polynesian, I'm able to book 11 months out. If I wanted to go to the Grand Floridian, though, because I don't own there, I'm limited to booking seven months out. In other words, it gives the owners an opportunity to make sure that they're able to book their vacations first because sometimes there is a limitation on yeah. space availability. So just because you own is not a guarantee that you'll be able to get something out. You do need to kind of make sure that you're planning long in advance. Right. And so you base your point decision on a number of factors, right? Yeah. How long am I going to be staying when I typically go? How often do I think I'm going to go? When? When am I going to go, because, right? Because there's the, peak seasons and low there seasons. There are. And in fact, the point system, the chart is basically broken up into four quadrants. And so they 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 kind of look at the year and they say there's four different seasons throughout the year. There's high, high, and then there's low, high, and <laughs> low, low. And, um, you know, those aren't the words that they use, but that's really what right. you kind of look at. And then each of the resorts and the type of room that you would stay in will have a point value assigned to it. Yeah. So I've had, and I've seen people online and so forth ask, well, how many points do I get? And how do I, what I would say is do your research, right? So like without getting into all the nitty gritties and everybody's specific situations and affordability, you just got to do your research. And again, this is where there's, there's tons of information out there. Disney is super helpful and, and not trying to shoehorn you in or make you buy extra points. So, you know, I I guess I'll take this time to plug a uh, 
a website I found as I was doing a little bit of research, and it's just called dvcinfo.com. Yeah. And he's got all kinds of calculators and scales and all that stuff. Yeah. Maybe just real quickly, briefly, also talk about the difference between buying direct from Disney or there's yep, you the could resale decide market. one day, <clears throat> yeah. hey, I'm we're done as a family with DVC. So the contracts are typically what, 50 years? So the contracts are 50 years from basically the time they start selling contracts there, right? Okay. Or, or, or when, the, when the resort starts. So for instance, <clears throat> when we bought into the Polynesian, I think there was roughly 40 something years left on our contract because we actually, <clears throat> they weren't selling new units at the Polynesian. They now had inventory from people who had sold their previous contracts. Okay. And so they, so it opens it up, right? Um, again, big difference from a typical timeshare where they're like, oh, well, you can, you know, gift this down through your posterity, which, you know, that's a whole different episode on the <laughs> issues with that. But, right. uh, you know, you know that at a certain point, my contract at DVC is going to expire. Right. You know, and I think at this point we've got 30 something years left before it does. Um, but, yeah, so you, 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 have, you have that time limit. Yeah. And so let's say that. You know, 10 years down the road, you and Kayla decide, hey, we're we're done with this. I can't imagine that happening. But you guys say, hey, we're done with this. We now want to sell. Yeah. Someone could either buy it directly from you. And I'm sure there's stipulations yeah, and yeah. agreements there that Disney doesn't want that just happening willy nilly. Or... They can buy directly from Disney, yeah. which is what you guys did, it sounds like. And there there are big differences. Your biggest difference that most people are going to see on the surface is going to be the price. When you buy directly from Disney, the pricing is pretty much fixed. It yeah. doesn't matter what resort you're buying at. Um, you are buying whatever they're selling points at at the time. So each point is going to have a dollar amount associated to it. And so if you buy a 125-point contract, for instance, it's probably going to cost you somewhere between twenty to $30,000, yeah. okay? Um, you know, that was, that, that's been our experience, and, and it's been pretty steady. They offer some discounts from time to time that if you buy now, you can get some extra this, you can get some extra that, or you can save $1,700, but, but that's kind of what it looks like. When you buy on the resale market, you're going to buy it whatever someone's trying to sell their contract for, right. okay? Caveat being that Disney always retains the right of first refusal. So you may come to an agreement with someone and Disney may come in and say, no, we're not going to let you do that. And then they will buy that owner out themselves because they want to make sure that they don't have price compression or escalation beyond anything reasonable. This is their way of trying to control inflation on DVC contracts. Um, But those are that's just the biggest difference you're going to see on the outside. On the inside, you're actually going to see a difference in perks, right? And I think this is where it becomes a little, um, depending on your situation, a little bit more meaningful. Having bought directly from Disney, I'm entitled to all of the DVC benefits, which include discounts at parks and in restaurants and it, for, for merchandise. I'm able to be entitled to um, special events that they'll hold, right? So DVC tends to hold things like they call it a Moonlight Magic event. Um, where it's a special event just for DVC members where you can get, it's a ticketed event where you can get in and spend some extra time at the parks. Um, you know, DVC owner previews, similar to a pass holder preview when there's a new attraction or a show or something that happens, they'll let them come in for a certain period of time before the general public gets to experience that. Um, when you buy in the resale market, Disney has ostensibly to this point cut off all of those benefits. You are only buying 
the points that are associated with your contract, you're not going to get any of those extra frills. So have you ever rented out yours? So that's the that's the third option, right? So third option is I'm not buying, but I, there's several companies now that have popped up that will actually accumulate points from Disney Vacation Club owners, and then they will rent those points out. So say something comes up with you guys, your schedules don't allow it, you want to roll those points over or not use them. So you can take advantage of that by renting those points out. Yeah. As an owner, you have the ability to bank your points, but you can only bank them once for that year. You cannot bank them indefinitely. And if you don't use them or bank them by a certain time, your points actually could literally disappear on you, right? Mm. And so an option to be able to make sure that you don't lose value on that is you could rent them out. And if you're not an owner, you could you could rent them from somebody else so that you could stay and experience. Now, when you do that, you're not going to get the you're not going to get the perks of being an owner because you're not an owner, right? Right. Um, but you do get to stay, and that's good. We've never done that because we have no problem using our points. <laughs> so, um, I've, I've and in fact, you can you can either. borrow your points against future years as well. Because sometimes, depending on what your stay is, you may need more points than what you have in a given year. I do have a 125 point contract. I will tell you that um, in some sometimes it's the right number, and a lot of times I'm like, man, I wish I had another 125, or I wish sure. I had another 300. Right? When we go off and we do different things. When we first started doing this, we were doing it because we would go as a family and we would stay for multiple nights. And so I want to talk about this for a second, the actual finances. of Does this even make sense? Right. I just want to put it in perspective because this is what the tipping point for us in the decision was. We're a family of six and the studios at the Polynesian sleep five. Okay. It's not an option for a six. It's not even like, you know, they're like, hey, you can have five. You can't have more than five. So we need two rooms, right? For two rooms, seven nights in a studio at the Polynesian, we calculated that at normal pricing, not even peak pricing, at normal pricing, it was probably going to cost us about between six and $7,000 yeah. for that week. So when you start looking at saying, wow, you know, $20,000, $30,000 is a lot to spend on a contract, well, you can finance that. And the answer is, yeah, that is a lot of money. But if I do this two, three, four times, then the price of what I've paid for is done. And now I have flexibility for the remaining number of years on my contract to continue to do that. And that's the question you have to ask yourself is how often are we going to do this? How often do we go? I can tell you, you, you know this, but for our listeners, um, a typical year for us is to visit a minimum of three times, yeah. sometimes upwards of five and six. So I will use all of my points. I have long gotten the value of what I paid for our DVC contract out of it. So in all of my research, that's what I found is if even though your contract is like you said, yours was 40 years, even if it's 20 or 30 years for the average person, if you use your points for the first four years yeah. going every single year, whoops, my phone there, uh, going every single year, if you use it, you will by year four have have made your money back. Yep. So basically what you're doing is you're you're staying in a deluxe resort at a moderate price. And so the way the math works out is after that year four, you've basically earned your money back. 
And, you know, you're not off scot-free at that point. No, no, no. You do have annual maintenance fees you got to pay. Basically, imagine this is is your HOA bill, right? Yeah. Um, Every resort has a different structure and price that's associated with that. It does tie directly to your contract size. Um, But... But the reality is, you know, I'm now at a point where we pay about a little over a thousand dollars a year um, moving forward. And again, we go. So if you think about this, I have enough points that if I really wanted to nickel and dime it, I could probably get almost I could probably get between nine to ten days out of our stay. Right. If I really like because there are some resorts where you can get rooms for eight, nine points a night. Right. So if I really, you know, pinched it together, I could probably out of 125 points, I could get nine, maybe 10 days if, if I was really lucky. It would cost you well more than a thousand dollars to do that. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it would cost you a couple thousand dollars at a minimum, even at the lowest of the DVC resorts to be able to put that together. So for us, it's a no brainer. It makes a lot of sense. And then on the other side of it, I can't even calculate how much we have saved by getting our 20% merchandise discount, our 10% food and dining discounts. Right. Um, I mean, it, it really does go a long way. And so if I was, so just to kind of maybe bring this all together, um, if I was a person, I go to Disney probably once or twice a year, right? So that's my, and I, I do like to stay on site. At what point would it make sense for me to start looking at DVC and thinking maybe this is an option for me and my family? I would say that there you can start looking anytime because there's not a limitation on a minimum number of points you buy. I mean, you you could buy pretty small contracts, right? Okay. And so I think that's what it really comes down to is um, you should reach out. Go onto the website, DisneyVacationClub.com, right? You know, it'll redirect you to whatever the real long URL is. But, <laughs> but that's a great place to start because you can get the information you need. If you're at the parks, you can stop by a kiosk. You can go and tour some of the some of the villas and see what the amenities look like. And listen, y'all, I'm telling you, some of the some of these villas are spectacular. I mean, we've we've stayed at a, almost all of the deluxe resorts at this point now. Um, the Riviera being one of the newest ones, mm. I mean, it was, in my opinion, it was exceptionally high end and I'm not exaggerating there. The finishes, the feel, it was very, very much upscale, absolutely incredible. And it was one of those times when we were getting it for 13 points a night or something like yeah. that. Right. We had a great thing. It was a two bedroom, you know, unit, um, you can get some good stuff. But the point is, is go talk to someone, go do some research, look at it, and then you'll see what your options are. And, and and all of a sudden it can start to make sense to you. They do have pretty easy and flexible financing available if you've got, you know, decent credit. And I would just add to that, like like we said a minute ago, you can stay at a, in one of these DVC villas or rooms. We did at Old Key West. We loved it. Yeah. Like it was... It was a one-bedroom villa, and so it had lots of space for our family of five. Um, so that that would be the other thing that I would say is, or you can, like I say, you can get online and just put DVC rental. You, there's probably four or five top companies that rent out DVC points if you wanted to do that. So if you're looking at going to one of these deluxe resorts and you want to stay at the Grand Floridian or, you know, Riviera or some Polynesian, some of these deluxe resorts, I would strongly urge you to take a look at 
you know, the DVC room options. It's so nice. The amenities in the rooms are so nice. It's kind of, we talked about this on one of our previous episodes. It's kind of this nice blend of having an offsite, you know, washer, dryer. Like if I stayed at a VRBO or an Airbnb and having some of those things that come with staying in a house, full kitchen, these types of things. Yeah. But still having the magic. You're in the bubble. Of being in the bubble and, you know, it's just a different feel. It's a yeah. different feel than even staying at one of your standard, you know, moderate or yeah, it is value resorts, not just from an amenity standpoint, but just from like, hey, we're still in the Disney bubble. We're Listen, still when, experiencing when you're all the magic. when you're at a monorail resort, there's nothing like being able to wake up or go to bed and look out your window and see Cinderella castle. Yeah. Like there's, there's just nothing like that. And it, it's a, it is literally a magical experience for you to be able to be in that bubble. Yeah. So that could be an option for you. Now, listen, maybe DVC is not for you, but you still want to go. I know a person who can help you out. Yeah, that's right. So let's say you are trying to plan a vacation. Give me a, a contact. I'm on Instagram. The name of my travel company is called Castles, Kingdoms, and Churros. And I'd love to work up a free quote for you, give you an idea. We can look at some of those DVC room options if that's part of the vacation that you want to plan. Be happy to go through some of those options with you. But yeah, look me up on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Castles, Kingdoms, and Churros. I'd love to help you plan a magical vacation with you and your family. Awesome. Another way you can escape to the magic is... Magic Candle. You know, the thing about staying at a Disney resort for me is always going to be the, the smell. The, the second I walk in the door, there is something unique and distinct about it. Um, recently, I purchased a new candle from the Magic Candle Company. Um, it is Polynesian themed because that is <laughs> my <course>. home resort. <laughs> and when I and when I show up at my home resort and, uh, you know, they say, welcome home. Literally. Remember, yeah. I own it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is my home. And uh, and I love that smell. And Magic Candle Company, they have all sorts of park smells, hotel smells that you can bring back home with you from actual candles to fragrances to uh, spritzers and, and, and other aerosols that can help replicate that. And the best news is this. You can save 15 percent. Yeah. Use, use our, our promo, promo code. code. Yeah. Use our promo code. Uh, escape. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, that was it. Yeah. Uh, use our promo code escape. And uh, you'll get 15% off. So one last thing. Let's let's end the episode here with a magical scenario. Uh, I think I have one. So to give a little bit of an explanation here, if there was an area of the park that you love to sit in, but you would love to see it expanded or, or, or grown out. So for example, um, the Tangled Bathroom area at Magic Kingdom. It's a nice area. It's really well-themed. Would you like to see that expanded out? So that's our magical scenario. If you could expand out any smaller themed area into a larger themed area, what would you do? Yeah. You know, the answer is obviously yes. I'm always in favor of, ex- <laughs> of expansion. I want to I wanna see more. Um, I think you bring up a really good one. I'll let you talk about that one a little bit more. But I was thinking, you know, we really have a lot of opportunity left at Epcot. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity at Epcot. And so I'll, I'll hit, I'll touch on just a couple of them briefly, right? 
one of them is that the world showcase is overdue for expansion. Yeah. Um, you know, as we were kind of going through it in our mind, it was striking the fact that Central and South America are completely unrepresented in the world showcase, but we've got four European countries. Um, you know, we've got a couple of Asian countries in China and Japan, um, you know, Morocco represents, I guess, both Africa and the Middle East, yeah. but all of Africa represented by Morocco. So, um, you know, actually you've got, uh, is it, is it five European countries? You've got England, France, Italy, Germany, and Norway. Yeah. yeah. Five European countries. Wow. Right? And they're very pretty and they're very old, but, um, it's a little disproportionate. So I thought, you know, we should have something in South America. Absolutely. Right. And if we don't have something in South America, maybe we should also have India being yeah. the second most populous country in the world. Well, and I think a big part of being in the World Showcase is like the food and they have all the festivals, food and wine and, you know, garden and uh, arts and all that stuff. I think a South American themed country, you know, like a Brazil or an Argentina First of all, there's tons of Brazilians and Argentinians that come to the parks anyways. Yeah. I think they'd eat that up. Yeah. Uh, but I think that culturally, those countries bring a lot of flair and a lot of yeah. excitement as well. And a lot of food options. I would yeah. love to eat some of the food. Uh, you know, India has some food options for you as well. Might be a little bit different, a little bit spicy. Uh, may not be my first option and then go right yeah. on the Guardians ride. But yeah. uh, but definitely, I think it's a popular enough country and culturally you know, diverse enough to be able to bring some excitement and some, some traction in there. Yeah, I think so. You know, what does strike me is interesting about Epcot having done this whole travel or this whole, um, you know, real estate development episode, right? Uh, the world showcase itself was not part of Walt's vision for Epcot. Right. <laughs> uh, this, I don't, um, I still don't quite understand how that's where they kind of came up with it. I'm not bagging it. I think it's wonderful. I, I do think it's great. Um, very little to do with the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. <laughs> right. um, but but it's nice to walk around and you can see yeah. some cool fireworks. But the other place, if I was to stay in Epcot and say, hey, I think there's an opportunity for expansion, it's going to be over in the space area, right? Yeah. Where you've got Guardians, you've got Mission Space, you've got Space 220, the restaurant. I feel like this is um, a very austere and underutilized area when they put in guardians cosmic rewind they did great by sticking a nova core ship out yeah, there yeah. and 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 the largest building on the property painted in no blue so that you don't notice that building most of the time but boy i feel like you know this is something that could deserve a little bit of that avengers campus treatment yeah, where we could awesome we could really turn this into something pretty cool. Instead, right now, it's a lot of concrete. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think you could really spice that area up and bring in a lot of that Guardians feel and, uh, you know, make that a really fun area just to hang out in. Yeah. And that that was kind of my vision with why I brought up the Tangled Restroom area is I just think it's a nice, relaxing area to sit. I think they have phone chargers in the benches there. But I just wish it was more, right? It'd be fun to have a little snuggly duckling uh, restaurant or quick service, you know, there. And, and, and if you don't, and if do you don't so know where much. this is, if you don't know where this is in the park, the tangled bathroom area 
is oftentimes confused for a stroller parking area. <laughs> That's true. But 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 you do get some of the better bathrooms there, and it's right around the corner from the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, it's right? kind of smashed in between Haunted Mansion and Small World, and then kind of directly across from um, Peter Pan. Yeah. And it's just, it is, it's just wedged in there. And you're right, it just becomes this parking lot for strollers, and that's why I wish they would just expand it out. And the theming is off the charts there. Yeah. It's just a fun little area. I mean, you've got Rapunzel up in her tower up there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's pretty cool. I don't know if you've ever done this, but there are, I believe, eight hidden Pascals, the little lizard guy, the chameleon, hmm. uh, that are hidden all around in that area. I so didn't know that. fun yeah, fun little game to play with your kiddos. If you need some downtime, is to find all the hidden Pascals in that area. But anyways, I, I just think that would be a fun area to expand out and push. And what's crazy is I don't understand uh, Disney has the space. I mean, we yeah. talked about this in the episode earlier. Twice the size of Manhattan, about the size of the city of San Francisco. They have room. Yeah. <laughs> they just need to expand it and and take advantage of it. Yeah, they totally do. And this isn't even about adding new attractions or anything like that. No, this yeah. is about like just a little bit of breathing room because yeah. that that area in particular is one that can get pretty congested. Oh, it's a pinch point for sure. It's a pinch point. That's yeah. absolutely right. And and you're and it's a pinch point and you're like, I don't understand why. Well, yeah. I'll tell you why. Strollers, people stopping in the middle of the walkway. And when there's not a lot of walkway to work with in the first place, that that'll create a traffic jam. Yeah, for sure. So so there you go, Disney execs. Expand out the tangled bathroom area. So that's it for us. I ask yeah. you one last time. Do you want to live at Disney? I do want to live at Disney. Yeah, I do too. So do I. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Bye.